Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to the second edition of Seen Anything Good Lately. It's the cultural chat show that gives you bags of recommendations of what to watch and read in the company of some great writers, filmmakers, actors, musicians and artistic types. I find out if they've seen anything good lately and get them to share their passion for a great watch with you. Like the other night, I watched the Laura Marling gig that she did at the Union Chapel and that was just beautiful. I saw a great documentary about uh, people who uh, draw cartoons for The New Yorker, which, I, which is really fun. It's called um, Very Semi-Serious. That's what this is about, that passion for sharing your love for something you're deeply into. And with so much out there on so many different platforms and formats, we all need a bit of guidance. So let's see nothing good lately be your guide. I'm Jason, your host, a film critic by trade for over 20 years, working for newspapers including The Observer and The Mail on Sunday, as well as presenting the first years of The Guardian's Film Weekly podcast and being London's film guru on BBC Radio London. This is the show I've been wanting to present for some time now, though getting well-known people to talk about what it is they love watching, reading and listening to, getting them to do the critical work for me and presenting it to you. I think criticism has become about curation and recommendation these days. It's about so many tastes finding their niche in so many different spaces and being able to test out your suitability to new material. And if you want to take part and are itching to share your new discoveries with us, why you like something as much as why you switched over or even off, just get in touch by emailing sagl at jasonsolomons.com. So SAGLE, all caps, at jasonsolomons.com. I'd love to hear from you. Right, let's find out who my guests are on this episode. Anne-Marie Duff is one of the UK's finest actresses. The star of Shameless, Suffragette and St Joan on the stage can now be seen in the superb three-part reconstruction drama The Salisbury Poisonings, when Wiltshire became the epicentre of an international espionage row and murder. And my second guest is the instantly recognisable Simon Bird, known for performances in hit comedies The Inbetweeners and as Adam on Friday Night Dinner, now turning filmmaker for his debut The Days of the Bagnold Summer. We'll find out more about the new offerings from Anne-Marie Duff and Simon Bird and then hear if they've seen anything good lately. But before we find out about Anne-Marie and Simon, here's that question again. Seen anything good lately, Jace? Well, I'm glad you asked because yes... I finally finished Killing Eve season three. I really enjoyed stepping back into that world. I mean, some people said it was tailing off after its first killer season. And in in a sense, that's true. Nothing can beat the surprise of that fresh new series and that fresh new character embodied by Jodie Comer. But I thought season three, everyone was on great form and I loved the style of it and the music of it. It was really bold and really fresh. And I was gripped by each episode and finding out where it was going to go. So yes, it wasn't perfect but I really enjoyed season three. I've read a very moving memoir, State of Disbelief by Juliet Rosenfeld, about the grief of watching her husband die from cancer and squaring it with her job as a psychotherapist and how grief is sort of unidentifiable. It talks about Freud a lot and it talks about how you can never sort of get a handle on this grief and how mental health is so important these days. Uh, Talking about it sometimes helps, sometimes doesn't. It was very honest and frank, this memoir, The State of Disbelief by Juliet Rosenfeld. And, well, I've been watching a lot of football. 
I don't mind admitting that. And I don't mind the whole behind closed doors thing. I've got quite used to that sound. And I've also got quite used to the fake crowd sound. That's got better as the coverage has gone on. I, I think I just like watching football. And I think the players are getting increasingly used to playing in those situations too. Some of the standard is pretty good. I must say that it was nice being without the stress of supporting my own football team during lockdown when there wasn't any football. That's Arsenal, of course, and now they've come back. I'm full of agony and life is so much harder and and more on edge. (laughs) So this is a, a real problem, but I have enjoyed watching a lot of football. So thank you for getting Project Restart going, Premier League. Right, that's what I've seen lately. So now it's time to introduce my first guest. Anne-Marie Duff was the breakout star of comedy Shameless on the TV and has been in films that range from The Maudlin Sisters to Nowhere Boy and Suffragette, as well as award-winning performances on the stage in St Joan, Macbeth and Sweet Charity, as well as an unforgettable Queen Elizabeth I in The Virgin Queen. And now she's starring in the gripping TV reconstruction The Salisbury Poisonings. It's a three-part series around the dramatic events when a former Russian agent and his daughter were poisoned with a deadly nerve agent called Novichok in a quiet Wiltshire city in 2018. As the series, directed by Saul Dib, premiered during the UK's coronavirus lockdown, I spoke to Anne-Marie Duff about how that story suddenly seemed eerily relevant to our new times. Hello, mate. Oh, lovely to see you. And you too. Here we are. Virtually live. see you, I'm afraid. I can't really yeah. see you. Live from my own front room. It is a delight to see you in the Salisbury Poisonings. What a role that is. It's very funny, isn't it? Because she's obviously a real life person with a real, real, uh, you know, crisis to manage. And in it, she says, oh, she says to her husband, oh, I don't think I can manage this. Yeah. Did you feel what she must have felt? Because I, could, I can't imagine the, the enormity of taking on such a thing. I know, completely terrifying. I think that's it. Because it's, it's as huge as the circumstances we're facing now you know people genuinely pe- people's lives were at risk um it's a wonder only that one person died really it's so shocking and also because of her background and I got to know her you know and I knew that she'd come up through social work that was her that was her training and so she was a real grassroots individual that gave you a bit of humanity rather than just a sort of clipped bureaucratic person who, who's clicked into into mode there was a real heart to her exactly and it sort of changed the dynamic of the whole piece to be honest, which was great because you don't want to watch spooks again. When you're looking at people who are frontline people for us, you want to have a real representation of that, you know, and and how hard it is and how much they care and all of those things. Yeah, a great cast that you're alongside there. I mean, Rafe Spall in particular, but I mean, everyone's great from Johnny Harris to Myron Burring. I mean, everyone's just brilliant. Your police lot, yeah, everyone's top level actors. You'll be watching it going, oh, great. They're They're all in it. Nigel Lindsay. Oh my God, I know. I, I couldn't believe it, actually. Um, I think that has a lot to do with Saul, you know, because he was at the helm. He's the kind of director who uh, attracts a, a certain kind of actor, perhaps. Yes, you know. he's always had good cast, hasn't he, Saul? Yeah. The writing, though, because we've had these two writers who come from Panorama, that was their background. So when you first read the scripts, they didn't read like TV scripts. You know, the dialogue wasn't that sort of bog standard way of speaking that we're all used to hearing. And that was really refreshing. It feels like, um, I was a bit, not functional, that's, that's damning with praise. Um, business-like almost in a way, procedural. It, it was like that. So there wasn't, you know, the usual sort of cliche paragraphs mm. or people saying, look, every two seconds. <laughs> so it was, that was really nice actually. Um, but also you knew that 
it would have complete authenticity as a result of that because they knew everything about the whole situation. And also my character, Tracy Daskovich, she helped with the writing of the scripts. She was there supervising it all. So it was, you know, in terms of facts, it was just going on, you know. But what do you do as an actress when you get that? Because some of it is quite clipped and you've got to bark orders and you've got to say things that you, you know, you and Marie Duff would never say, like ordering a, a lockdown of an entire city yeah. centre. Well, <laughs> yeah. How do you, what do you, where do you then put in the, the you-ness of it? Obviously she's a mum in it and that helps because you mm. are one as well. Do you, do you bring all of that naturalism to it and think, where can I inject that into the script that I've been got? The great relief for me, I think, was when I met her and realised how down to earth and how normal, if that's appropriate, a person she is, you know. So I didn't have to be some sort of archetype, you know. So you really, it, you just go, oh, oh, I get it. You're just a human being saying those things. And it made it a lot easier for me. And how frightened she was, you know. She's so upfront about how frightened they all were. Mm. That you don't appear to be some sort of robot. You know, you can actually, you can allow yourself to be a bit vulnerable and to be a bit messy and all of those things. Yeah, you did that so well. I mean, like, it really is the the fright. Yeah, you never see that in a police procedural, really. Certainly not in the, the the American ones that you mentioned we all did before you started shooting. Everyone's very professional, very clipped, and they're almost heroic because they do their jobs so well. I mean, you guys do your jobs well, but there's definitely room for like, oh my God, this is a bit too much for me. I think that's what we do really well with British drama, though. We don't worry so much about being heroic, do we, you know? And then what the great result of that, whether it's in film or television, is that unexpected things happen and people behave in an unexpected way. Because if you're the hero, we all know what's going to happen to you, you know. So it's nice to see people be fallible and all of those things. But, it, you know, when you see it and you, and you realise, you know, the efficiency of, it, of the operation and the scaliness of it, you do think, well, this is a perfect time to watch it, actually. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it, it's really hard to describe because we were all really worried about it and we thought there was a lot of... Um, there were a lot of conversations about should we delay this transmission should we you know postpone it till maybe the autumn or you know there was a lot of concern um but i think that's it i think it, it, you're absolutely right i think it just feels so close to us that it doesn't and also what's great about it is there's no histrionics we don't over dramatize we don't you know for uh, to get a better narrative going nobody's running around and you know it's really true and the gentle unfolding of it is part of its reassuring nature i think the people who took ill are sergey and yulia scripple sergey was a high level mi6 agent so what do we think it is we don't know yet Novichok. it's one of the deadliest synthetic substances on earth do not go in that house repeat do not go in that house our job is to keep the people of Salisbury safe. Is it going to be okay? <laughs> I don't know. Is Salisbury safe? Yeah. I don't think I can do this, Ted. This is just too big. You're going to see this through, and so am I, no matter what it takes. Scrapel was a Russian spy. These are an innocent man and woman fighting for their lives. You and your family are now at the centre of an international incident. We don't know the source of contamination or have an established chain of events. All we do know is that for the people in Salisbury, we are their only line of defence. Have you seen anything good lately, Amarita? Uh, well, you know what? There actually is a ton of stuff for us out there. I mean, even if, say you're missing theatre, you just like the BBC, on iPlayer, they've got this whole sort of a huge Shakespeare performance section. And there's a gorgeous production of Othello with my friend Lucien M. Samati playing Iago and it's amazing you've got this black Iago you know it's just brilliant 
and that's that's a gorgeous production and also they're a show on at the old vic i think it must have been about 18 months ago and it was an adaptation of angela carter's wise children mm. and it's so much fun and it's such a great glorious performance and that is also an eye player. And you, are so, you all right with watching theatre on the telly? Sometimes it really works. You know, I remember ages ago seeing Gillian in Streetcar Named Desire on NT Live because I couldn't go and see it at the Young Vic. And it was just glorious. Sometimes it really can work. I mean, as long as you still feel the sense of performance, then it's, you know, it's like like the other night I watched the Laura Marling gig that she did at the Union Chapel. And that was just beautiful because there was never a moment that you you know you always felt like you were at a live gig and it was really quite precious and I and I really enjoyed it and I, I was worried that I wouldn't you know but did I, I did heard, have I am I making this up have I heard you do a streetcar named desire oh only only on the radio dude you on the radio <laughs> <laughs> I knew I I did hear it was that radio four thing or something yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did it, work? did it work on the radio? It must. Have. I think it did. I remember hearing you going be, being fabulous. Actually, I, was, I didn't know it was you. Actually, that's how good it was. Obviously, I couldn't see you. But well, it's Tennessee Williams, so you can't go wrong, really, can you? Not really. Yeah. It's, and it just so that that's a, it's a fabulous part for the radio, actually. But also, you know, I was thinking, and because I'm a massive fan of uh, Curzon, they do this great Curzon Home Cinema, and I've actually used it before lockdown, even where you can stream all these incredible movies. And now they've got this library of films. You can see I watched again the other day, Daughters of the Dust, which I think I saw when I was at drama school, maybe. It's a quite old film now, but it's the most remarkable film. Which one's Daughters of the Dust, he says. Very embarrassed that he doesn't know that one. It's, it's one of those you can't quite believe. It was in the early 90s and it was directed by Julie Dash, who was the first woman of colour. Yes. Who, huge film and it's about a group of islanders and they live just off the coast of georgia and then they discuss whether they're going to move on to their mainland and they come from you know african slave culture and they speak this weird sort of creole and then and they they're sort of debating whether they're going to let go of their magical amazing extraordinary culture and move into american life you know it's the, and it's set in the turn of the last century and it's just the most beautiful film it's not linear you know it kind of the chronology of it bounces around and it's sort of brilliant it's a, it's a touchstone of, of black feminist filmmaking in fact daughters yeah. of the dust but I, you know what I've, i haven't seen daughters of the dust i, so, I, I must see because we're, we're obviously right the conversation at the moment is yeah. supporting black artists supporting uh people yeah. like julie dash and those un, untold unheard voices and untold narratives uh so mm-hmm. that's a great recommendation and i'm i'm, I'm slightly embarrassed i haven't seen it but I'm, this is what this show's about actually we kind of lots of people haven't seen lots of stuff I and mean, you can't possibly see all the stuff um unless you're Amory duff who seems to have been doing a lot of good homework well done you <laughs> well i just i'm just a culture vault you know i love it and i'm just you know the fact that atta mcgoyan's got a new movie out is brilliant because it now means that on and they've got loads of his old movies on there so you, if you don't know his work you can check it out there there's some brilliant stuff on this. this is the time i guess to do your godfather day isn't it or to do your i don't know kislovsky day or to do your it's the sort of time when you can sit down and feast on stuff. That's the sort of gift that it brings us. Isn't the deep dive. So you saw, you've seen Daughters of the Dust. Anything else that you've completely, uh, that you'd forgotten that you hadn't seen or that you'd wanted to see again and you've really enjoyed doing? Well, I am a 
my favourite director is Pavel Kavlikovsky. I'm just like obsessed with his movies. So I've been watching them all again. I yeah. mean, anyone who can do My Summer of Love and Ida and Cold War. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, how can you create all of those different They're films? wonderful. And there's The Last Resort as well, which I think uh, was oh, one of the first God. with Paddy Considine. Paddy Considine, just but also that beautiful Russian actress, you know. That, I mean, it's just a—it's just the most. He's just the most extraordinary filmmaker, isn't he? Um, he's just brilliant. I mean, and, and I think Cold War is just—I mean, absolutely oh, fantastic. It's so romantic and gorgeous, and so Joanna Kulik's so amazing in it. So sexy, it's so good. And he does that thing of casting extraordinary actors who have that—you know, like the French say, "jolie led." You know, sort of aren't perfect but are so beautiful. And it's just—I think he's amazing. So yeah, that. That's kind of been what I've been up to watching wise yeah good good choice Paul Palakoski uh Paul Palakoski season one always needs one I I think because mm-hmm. he, he does touch on such different things my summer of love I've forgotten how gorgeous that is uh and how mm-hmm. dangerous as well Emily little Emily Blunt and little Natalie Press they were so young uh, so young dude so young <laughs> <laughs> but have you been listening to stuff by the way before I start saying goodbye to you what have you been reading and listening or you just sound like you've been just watching stuff I've been reading too and I've been listening to radio because I'm such a I think I've spoken to you about that before. I'm a real radio geek. Um, so I, I do listen to the radio a lot, actually. Who have you been listening um, to? Who's been keeping you company? Well, I've been listening to a lot of stuff from Radio 4 because I'm getting old now. <laughs> <laughs> but also what's great is Radio 4 Extra because you could listen to like loads of brilliant old stuff from years and years ago. You know, I love a bit of radio drama. What have you been reading then? I need a book recommendation, actually. I'm coming to the end of Sally Rooney's uh, Conversations with, the, with uh, Normal People. <laughs> So good. And the adaptation of Normal People was so amazing, wasn't it? It was. Um, I really enjoyed every single bit of it, actually. Oh, but my, my amazingly clever friend, Lenny. Um, but I have... What have I been reading? I've been reading Anne Enright's Actress. Um, I have also... I'm trying to think now. I re, I've reread a couple of books, actually, because um, it's quite nice to go back to books that you read 20-odd years ago or whatever, because your response to them is so different now. It's yeah, it's like an interesting you... exercise, actually. It is actually, and how much you, say if you pick up a book like On the Road now, and how much of it you go, that you would at one point have gone, oh my God, that's just so extraordinary. Now you go, oh, fuck off. <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> <laughs> I like the ones. I like the ones where you first you read, and there's a teenage rebel at the heart of it. And you, when you first read it, you identified with them, and now yeah. you read them, and there, then there's the parents in it who are a bit shocked, <laughs> and you identify with the parents now, and you think, oh no, that's wrong. I absolutely know. I remember rewatching Rebel Without a Cause not that long ago, and thinking, come on, you two, you can do a better job at parenting than that. <laughs> <laughs> and read off. You, I know you said you listened to Laura Marling. I've been playing um, a lot of protest music because it seems to be a what in the air I don't know if you've been listening to any any music along those lines well I have a 10 year old son but so I've had a bit of AJ Tracy rammed down my throat unfortunately <laughs> um, <laughs> live and direct that's the kind exactly that's the kind of protest music that I'm... you're not supposed to protest music doesn't mean uh, I protest that you have to turn it off it's the best <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny my kids protest when I do AJ Tracy live and DJ DJ <laughs> mash up the deck they protest very very loudly <laughs> I think when your parents are actors, like kids expect you to be a bit of a dick anyway. So whenever you are, they're a bit like, yeah, just being mum again. Yeah. <laughs> 
But have you managed to have any of those conversations? I found actually we I programmed a little season uh, on, on my blog about uh, racial protest films, and I watched uh, The Hate You Give with the, my kids, uh, yeah. uh, which is a fantastic film actually, and is the is the one that can can be you know. Uh, attempted by younger kids 10 11 and yeah. um it, it prompted the most adult conversation we've ever had a, as a family i thought it was really rather inspirational for that well children are wise you know we make them unwise don't we we make them stupid by teaching them prejudice and so kids are very articulate about it we started having to have the conversation because my kid is a big football fan you won't like it he's a tottenham fan <sighs> um, i'm sorry i thought but he was he, all right anyway <laughs> so we a couple of matches we'd been to and we'd heard some stupid noises and things and i had had to explain that to him and his face is just like what well, but just doesn't make any sense mm. you know and that's the point there's just absolutely no sense to it and that's why kids are awesome so you can actually sit they really do understand because of the nature of bullying in the playground or whatever they do understand and they're able to articulate quite wisely, I think. I had this extraordinary moment where I said to him, I'm a bit worried about the protests with the virus, you know, and he looked me dead in the eye and he said, yeah, well, better to die from a virus than from a racial attack, mom. And I was kind of blown away by that, that a child could be able to just look at two evils and see the lesser of two evils. And it just really broke my heart. I loved the fact that he felt that way, but it broke my heart at the same time, you know? Absolutely. Uh, fantastic talking to you and great uh, seeing you in the Salisbury poisonings. I hope uh, people tune in by their millions to see it. Well, they will because they've got nowhere else to go, to be honest. You've got a brilliant <laughs> captive audience. Um, lovely talking to you, Anne-Marie Duff. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. And you can watch Anne-Marie Duff in the Salisbury poisonings on iPlayer now. She and it are a riveting watch. Simon Bird made nerdy popular on British TV with his glasses and pompous failure in comedy smash hits The Inbetweeners, which included two massive movie spin-offs, and the much-loved Friday Night Dinner. The actor now turns director for his debut, The Days of the Bagnold Summer. It's the story of a summer holidays gone wrong when a surly metal fan teenager, Daniel, played by Earl Cave, is forced to spend the summer with his librarian mum, Sue, played by the brilliant Monica Dolan. It's a subtle English comedy about the suburbs and growing up a bit, and marks a change of pace for Simon Bird, who was delighted to share his experiences of making his first film and the films that influenced it. Director, do you like that appellation, Simon? Oh, I do, yeah. It's a a sort of shiver down my spine. Um, (laughs) Yes, um, I guess I do. Actually, it's, it's... it's really the most collaborative job there is. That's why I love it. Is it's because you get to work with, you just basically manage a team of amazing people. But did you, you know, know that was the job? I mean, I would say growing up and I suppose you know thinking about it when you're younger, you think, well, I'd love to be a film director. We don't really know that it entails marshalling a great team of people. How did you learn what it what it took to be one? Just by watching all the ones you've worked with, I guess. Yeah, totally. I think that. Over the last decade or so, I've spent a lot of time on set and got to work with some some amazing people. And yeah, I, I think I've, that's what I've discovered is that the best ones are the ones that are sort of personable and everybody wants to go out of their way to help succeed. Now I tell you that you're a director, Simon, to actually sort of getting to grips with the uh, days of the of, of the bagging summer. It was, a, I mean, it was it was a, a book originally, wasn't it? By uh... it was. 
it by, was, yeah. By your wife. And, and it still is. Yeah. Um, the, the book is not by my wife. No, it's by um, a guy called Joff Winterhart. And it came out, I think, in 2011 or 2012 and was uh, very successful f- for a graphic novel. It didn't have a great track record as a genre in this country. But it, I think it was the first graphic novel ever nominated for the Costa Book Award or oh. something like that. And uh, I think that's probably how it sort of got on my radar. I read it and loved it. And then when, when I started thinking about uh, directing a, a feature film, I sort of kept coming back to this book because I, I thought there was something in it that felt sort of original and, and interesting. Then my, my wife uh, adapted the book into the into the screenplay. Did she, or was there a sort of decision where you said, I'm thinking of directing this? And she went, well, look, I'll, I'll write it. I'll write the damn thing for you. And, and then you can go <laughs> off and make it and get out the house. Actually, the discussion was we trying to find ways for that not to be <laughs> the situation. I spent a long time sort of looking into other screenwriters before we just decided, no, this is much easier. It makes much more sense for Lisa, who is a brilliant novelist and writer, to, to have a crack at it. Yeah, I mean, how, how was the process? Were you, did you sort of let her go away and do it? Or was it quite collaborative? And she'd come back to you and sort of say, well, can you, can you, would you is that how you would like to see it? Was she aware of the, you know, what your visual approach was going to be? How did you, how did you sort of thrash it out between you? It was great, actually, because, I, I you know, we've obviously spent the last decade or, or longer watching films together so mm. i think that we have a real we have very similar taste and very similar sensibility so a lot, a lot of it was un, unspoken really and, and i sort of knew the sort of thing she was going to come up with so no she just went away and, and did it herself i definitely wasn't sort of over her shoulder um <laughs> checking every line that she typed. I think that would have been <laughs> horrible for everyone. How could you um, imagine? <laughs> yeah. I need a semicolon there. Yeah. And similarly, she, she uh, was very hands-off when, uh, you know, when I was shooting it. She wasn't, you know, watching rushes or making suggestions. So, no, we, we sort of left each other to the our separate parts of the process. So it, it, it intrigues me if you've been watching films together uh, over this period. What, who were the, the sort of palettes that you were referring to, both as uh, writers and directors? Who, who, who's, who's seeped into you as influences? Um, well, I think we both have very similar taste, actually. In um, And a, a lot of our favourite films are comedy dramas, uh, a lot of them from the, you know, 70s or 80s. Um, and I guess, you know, the directors I'm talking about are like... Hal Ashby and Peter Bogdanovich and Elaine May, oh, wow. uh, Mike Nichols. Those are the films we sort of keep coming back to. But actually for this film, I think it had some more sort of specific references because it, there's something weirdly 90s about it, I think. There's like, it feels, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a coming of age film. And yeah. I think it's probably it, the, the look of it and the story of it uh, is probably quite influenced by... American indie films like uh, I don't know Rushmore and Dazed and Confused and and that that sort of genre. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you have those the, those great authors that you mentioned there, uh, the great comedies of the seventies, like either Heartbreak Kid that you or you know or, oh, yeah, or Last Picture House. That, yeah, that might be my favorite film of all time. Really, I've, yeah. only, I've only just discovered it, Simon Heartbreak oh, it's, Kid. It's amazing, and the people who haven't seen it, it's very hard to track down. It, it there is it is on YouTube. I know I shouldn't say that. It is on YouTube, but it's. I'm only saying that because it's not available to rent or buy anywhere, as far as I'm aware. It was, it was just great. I thought it was a really fine piece of work. Uh, so good choice there as favourite. It's just films. a different. It was a different era of. Um, I feel like nowadays comedy has become very. I keep using this word, but uh, genreified, and you sort of. I don't know. It's it's all about um, the laughs. Uh, 
Whereas I felt like back then, the you know the fact that it was a comedy didn't didn't prevent it from being a, a great and, and weirdly serious film. Mm. Um, and you had you know proper serious directors who made films that were funny, but that were also sad and and saying something as well. Yeah, I think just just naturally a lot of the the sort of references in my head were were American. I, I just felt like for this. Uh, why not just try and do the total opposite? The story is about two very ordinary people, uh, and I just wanted to make them sort of the, the heroes and give them the, a proper Technicolor widescreen cinematic treatment. I don't know why I just can't wait until I'm back. Because you'll be jet lagged and won't want to come into town, and you'll end up with no shoes to wear to the wedding. You know, what about those? No. What's wrong with them? Horrible. What's horrible about them? Everything. It's just a basic black shoe, isn't it? Exactly. I can't get anything right. You can let me wear my trainers. You're not wearing your trainers. Why not? They're black. Hardly. Tipexed all over with that awful morbid rubbish. It's not rubbish. It's metallic. It's not appropriate for a wedding. It's poetry. People read poems at weddings. Why don't I get some new trainers then? You are wearing proper shoes to this wedding. A wedding of two people I've never even met. You have met them actually, Daniel. When you were two, Judith saved you from choking on a grape. I don't remember. It was rather frightening actually. Your face went blue and your eyes sort of bugged out. How about that? Nope. Um, Simon, have you seen anything good lately? What have you been watching? The thing I watched most recently is Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Have you seen that? The Scorsese uh, film. Yeah, it's uh, it's the most un-Scorsese film I've ever seen. But, uh, I mean, this is going to be very controversial, but I, th- I think it might be my favourite <laughs> Scorsese wow. film. Well, it is very different, uh, isn't it? it it's Ellen it's Burstyn, like a, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a sort of feminist road movie, and it's rather than a masculine crime saga yeah I'd like, um, I'd, I haven't seen it for donkey's years I think it's almost 30 years I haven't seen it well I just thought it's hilarious and Alan Burstyn is absolutely I mean just one of the most incredible performances I've ever seen is it is it a comedy uh, it is yeah it's uh, I thought it was <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, as Scorsese films always go like funny funny how funny like yeah exactly mm. another f- film we really enjoyed recently was the was the second mother which is a Brazilian comedy drama, I guess, about a um, about a, um, a maid in a in a big posh Brazilian house whose daughter comes to live with her in her sort of servants' quarters. It's sort of a sort of funny version of Roma, I guess. Um, yes, I've seen I've seen the second mother. I thought that was terrific. I'd, I'd yes. forgotten that I'd seen it, um, but it's really good in a big house. So yes, and she comes. And then isn't there something? There's an incident with the. the I won't give anything away, but yeah, there's. uh, That's the one I'm I'm just remembering it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's just a, it's a very sort of small story. You know, it's about, it's ultimately about sort of class war done in a very sort of warm and um, miniaturized way. Yeah. Uh, And then also, I just sort of finally got around to seeing some of the films from last year that I should have seen but missed, like uh, Little Women, which is, as everyone knows, impeccable and really entertaining you liked it you like little women i really i really liked it, i did yeah. as well i have to say i thought it was exquisite really yeah she's greta Gerwig's just obviously amazing yeah um so a great documentary about uh the people who uh draw cartoons for the new yorker which i which is really fun it's called um very semi-serious mm, I've, I've, uh, see, I've seen its existence but i haven't had a look at it actually yeah it's worth it's worth checking out it's 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 fun then i've been watching some sort of i guess this is just to move into tv but there's like film tv overlap but somebody really recommended to me um 
the work of Molly Deneen. I don't know whether you've ever seen any of her stuff. She's, She's a, a documentary, documentary maker, maker yeah. The, the BFI have just released all her box sets of her films, her TV films, and they are absolutely incredible. What's her signature as a documentary maker? She's not front of camera in the sort of Louis Theroux style. Uh, she's off camera, but she does, um, she's not shy of chipping in, but she just, I think she, she will not be told how to, what to film. And I think as she became more successful and more famous, she sort of, I think a lot of people tried to hire her to do puff pieces. One of the extra features on her DVDs is she did the party political broadcast for the Labour Party oh. in 1997. And I think they didn't understand that they wouldn't have Final Cut. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, it's great because it's, it's an actually proper behind the scenes portrait of Tony Blair in a way that you never, I'd never really seen before. And it has lots of footage of, of him at home. And, and Ditto, she did, a, she did an amazing film called Jerry about Jerry Halliwell. And Jerry Halliwell rang her after, I literally think the, the day after she left the Spice Girls and asked her to come and follow her around for a year. Again, I think, assuming that it would just be a promotional piece. But instead, it's a very sort of warts and all portrait of Jerry Halliwell. And it's brilliant. So I think, yeah, the, the Molly Deneen box set, I'd really recommend. Excellent choice, Simon. Uh, Simon. But have you managed to be reading? I know you're a, a big reader normally, but a lot of people have been on the show and they sort of said, I've had trouble getting my getting concentration in lockdown uh, with the book. How have you been finding that? been reading a lot of kids' books. <laughs> Got a lot of kids' books recommendations. Yeah, go on then, because uh, I need those. Well, yeah, I, okay, I could do those. Before lockdown, I should say, uh, you know, this isn't a Cummings moment, but before lockdown, <laughs> my parents had kept all the the books they'd had for us, for me and my brothers and sisters when we were kids, in their loft. So I went and got a, a big old dusty book of uh, kids' books from the from the 80s and there's some amazing stuff in there i've been really enjoying um frog and toad mm. if anyone's got any four-year-olds frog and toad is where it's so at it, works. it still works uh, for you i mean it worked for you in the 80s yeah totally it still works they're, now. they're timeless um by a guy called arnold labelle they're brilliant and the little bear books as well by um maurice sendak are, are amazing wow they're still um, doing it maurice sendak obviously yeah uh, uh, but uh, but in terms of sort of adult literature like a lot of people i was very much looking forward to the new installment of the wolf hall trilogy so i've i've just finished that the mirror and the light hillary mantel yeah how were you transported yeah i was very much so i mean it's amazing obviously and uh a fitting culmination to those <laughs> yeah I, I i i must admit with a full embarrassment i haven't read them at all well, uh, I, maybe, maybe I'm waiting for the. I was waiting for the whole lot so I could Philistine. I am a Philistine. I've been reading Sally Rooney is what I've been reading. <laughs> okay, well that's that's fine. That's acceptable. Simon, absolute pleasure having you on. Absolute pleasure catching up with you. Congratulations on on Bagnold coming out. Days of the Thanks Bagnold summer. Uh, enjoy it because we're in summer, and I suppose all families will appreciate that even more. I suppose now in lockdown, the things you make seem to kind of have a because of obviously Friday night dinners about families as well, sort of all, all squished together uh, as yeah, it's, is Bagnold. It's, it's, it's bizarrely relevant. I mean, it's literally, it's literally about people whose summer holidays are cancelled, so they have to stay in the house together. <laughs> so, yeah, I promised that I didn't. This is you not know, your fault. No, I wasn't in Wuhan trying to create any sort of. That. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it, whatever, whatever. Pre- you see, that's what great art does. It predicts and it's prescient, and that's what you've done, Simon Bird. Uh, thanks very much. Lovely to hear from you. Thanks for all your great recommendations. I've now got to go and catch up with a load of stuff down to you. Uh, thanks for joining me Simon no worries thanks for having me
Days of the Bagnold Summer is out now to view on a host of platforms, including Amazon Prime, Curzon Home Cinema, BFI Player and Sky Store. And that's it for Seen Anything Good Lately. I'll put up all my guests' mentions and recommendations on the website, jasonsolomons.com. And don't forget, that's where you can also get in touch to tell me if you've seen anything good lately. Just email saggle at jasonsolomons.com. That's S-A-G-L for Seen Anything Good Lately at jasonsolomons.com. And I'll see you again very soon with guests including David Thewlis, Joe Hartley, Ashley Henry, Woody Allen, Greta Skaki, loads more. Thanks so much for listening. And just let me know if you've seen anything good lately. <laughs>